wonder and joy there will be to be in a place where sin and shame and I might add guilt are powerless. Most of us at one time or another and to one degree or another been held in the chains of those things. The only experience that we have that we can appeal to, that we know, that can free us at all, is your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we long for that day when we no longer walk by faith, but by sight. We will be with you. We will know you. Not merely your name, we will see you. And Lord, we pray in that glorious day that you will have recreated us in such a way, resurrected us in such a fashion that we can behold your glory. We thank you, Father. We pray that we would continue to remain ushered into your presence this morning. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Please be seated. So it was uh, three months before the uh, 1996 Atlanta Olympics uh, that one of the senior Olympic officials for the summer games came to Israel to run an umpire clinic. Now, I had been the uh, chief umpire uh, for the Jordanian Little League for about a year at that time, and I was going to go travel to Europe and usher uh, an umpire in the uh, European Championships. And so I was uh, keen uh, to go to this because I really needed to know my stuff. I wanted to get uh, up on it, and I was grateful for the opportunity. But there was a complication. It was a small complication, but a complication nevertheless. The clinic in Israel was during the Passover. So three of us were housed in the home of an observant Jew who was also a baseball fan. Uh, so being Passover week, I mean it was during Passover, uh, uh, everything had to remain kosher. And so being there for a week, I got used to matzah. I had matzah balls and matzah strudel, matzah lasagna, matzah pizza, matzah blintzes, matzah with locks. If you don't know what locks are, uh, look it up. Uh, and the point is I had a whole lot of matzah. And what drink goes best with, best with matzah? Coffee. I, I, I enjoy coffee. Coffee. Lots of coffee. I don't take sugar in my coffee, but I do have a little cream. So, uh, so just a few hours before Pats Passover, because it starts on the eve, right? We had another matzah meal, and afterwards I was sitting there enjoying my coffee. Everyone else was resting and talking and having a good time. Then as a good guest, I decided that I would clean out my cup. So I took the coffee over to the kitchen, I walked to the sink, and I poured it in. 
And what happened next is a bit of a blur, but it involves screams and threats of financial ruin. Uh, his wife screamed like somebody had broken into the house, and her husband came down to the rescue. And I wish I knew then what I know now, and that is that she had spent literally weeks making the home kosher for Passover. And you see, in a kosher kitchen, there, and some of you know this, in a kosher kitchen, there are two sinks. One of those sinks is exclusively for utensils and so forth that involve meat products. The other is exclusively for those things that involve milk products. And I had poured my cream down the meat drain. So, uh, <laughs> it, was a bad, it, was, it was a bad deal. To mix the two together, you see, makes the kitchen unkosher, and I would poured the coffee with the cream right down there, literally, literally hours before Passover uh, began. So, other than immediately being demanded to leave the house and pay for a sink and the plumbing to boot, uh, I was not knowing what to do. But fortunately, there was a yeshiva. Now, a yeshiva is a, an orthodox uh, school seminary to teach rabbis. And so, if there was ever a 911 call to a yeshiva, it occurred then. Because there's no greater emergency on the eve of Passover to have an unkosher kitchen. So thankfully, the rabbi was from Brooklyn. It was just great. Well, I mean, it really wasn't great. His accent was great, though. And, uh, and he told them, you know, no, I'm not even going to try to do the accent. But you can imagine. No, you don't have to buy a new sink. No, you don't have to get new plumbing. What you need to do is take two large pots of boiling water and pour them on the sink and down the drain, and your sink will be kosher. So, they decided not to kick me out. But only after a stern warning not to go anywhere near the kitchen, which I was happy to do. That was, that was a moment. Rules that I did not know. And there are rules, uh, I should say not rules, but there are rules that cause strange activities in Israel to this day. So, for example, on the Sabbath, uh, there are Sabbath elevators. So what that is is... Uh, because you can't start a fire. If you push a button, you start a fire. The elevator just, on the Sabbath day, the elevator just goes to every floor. The doors open, and oh, look, an open door before me. I can get on it. And then it stops at every floor on the way up. Hopefully, you're not in a very tall building. Also, all the lights are on rheostats, because you can't turn a light on or off. So what you do is you turn it up or down. I didn't start the spark. I can increase it, and I can decrease it. I can't start it, so here we go. That's good. And then you also have um, uh, other, other, other things, which, uh, which, you know, I could go on, uh, but I won't. But it's a, it, it was not only the case in Israel. It was also the case here in this country or in the early days. And uh, there's a book on it. So <laughs> I was reading this book, and it was great. I mean, there's really, literally, there's hundreds and thousands of examples. I'll only give you three. Uh, in 1652, Elizabeth Eddy 
was fined 10 shillings for wringing out her clothes and then hanging them up. In Newbury in 1646, Aquila Chase and his wife were presented in court and they were fined because they had picked peas from their garden on the Sabbath. And uh, finally, and I think the, the best one here, uh, in 1656, Captain Kimball, who was actually a very wealthy and influential uh, man uh, in uh, New England, was put in the public stocks for two hours. And he was put there for lewd and unseemly behavior. Oh my goodness. So what was his crime? His crime was, as his wife ran out of the house to greet him, he kissed her while on the home's doorstep, having returned from a just returned from a three-year voyage at sea. <laughs> I mean, you know, so people can get all wrapped up in this uh, Sabbath thing. So today we're going to look at the Sabbath. What is it? How does it apply to us today? I mean, is the Lord's Day the Sabbath? Has the Sabbath been done away with? Uh, which day is Sabbath? Is it Saturday? Is it Sunday? And, uh, I mean, what if you have to work on Sundays? Why did God put this in the Ten Commandments? Okay. This morning we come to Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, if you would turn there. The Fourth Commandment. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11 reads, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now we live in a society uh, that, and it's slightly changing, but uh, by and large the, uh, the great uh, bulk of our history is a society that puts a, I would say, too high value on work. It's not just a strong work ethic. Uh, it's, sometimes it's, it's too, too much. Chuck Swindoll once said, We have become a generation of people who worship our work, who work at our play, and who play at our worship. I think in many ways Swindoll is correct. I mean, most of the time, you just think about it. One, one quick example. How many of you have to go to work in order to rest after a vacation, right? I mean, a vacation wears you out, right? Yeah, I mean, who gets rest on a vacation? Uh, so it's, it's, one of, it's one of those kinds of, of things. So we're, what we're looking at today in particular is the Sabbath, uh, Yom HaShabbat. So the Sabbath day means a, a day of rest to cease from labor and to cease from work. The interesting thing here is this is Exodus 20, but they already knew about the Sabbath. In Exodus 16, it says this. When God gave them manna to eat, 
He said, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So they already knew about the Sabbath. And yet in Exodus 20, it's placed as part of, of uh, the Ten Commandments. So if the Sabbath was already in place, where did it come from? Well, verse 11 uh, tells us that. It was at the creation. Genesis 2, 1 and 2 uh, reads this way. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. When God finished the creation, he rested. And in doing that, he both created the seven-day week and also the Sabbath. And, uh, I mean, this was originally the way it was for all people. Everyone. This wasn't a Jewish thing. This wasn't an... Israelite kind of thing. This was a human thing. And that's one of the first things that we have to really understand is that the Sabbath is a human thing. And uh, when I get to some of our applications, I'll, I'll mention that uh, once more. I mean, people have tried eight-day weeks. Uh, at the French Revolution, you know, they tried 10-day weeks. So people have tried different, uh, different weeks, and they always go back to seven. They, they're just, there is just this movement uh, back towards uh, seven. And uh, even though the Sabbath was for all mankind, it had a special meaning, of course, for Israel. It was explicitly, as we read uh, here in other places, a day to rest and a day to worship. Exodus 34, 21 uh, says, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Interestingly enough, he says, in plowing time and in harvest time you shall rest. Now, for an agrarian people, that's an amazing thing. To lose a day of harvest is is a day you can never get back. To lose a day of plowing is a day you can never get back. But the Lord says, no, you're going to take this rest. And in fact, I can't go into all the details, but that's part of the whole reason why there was the exile into Babylon is because they refused to take some of these rests that they were to take. Now, one thing that we have to ask is, what is rest? You would think that was an easy question, but as part of my doctoral work on vicarious trauma, I wrote my whole thing on vicarious trauma, that is, uh, well, actually in trauma as well, but you, let's just say that you experience someone else's trauma, and that has an impact on you. I had to write a few pages about rest. And, and you know, and physicians, they'll, they'll tell you, Get lots of rest. Well, what does that mean? Now, most people think that that means sleep. And it does. 
but it also means to be uh, freedom, freed from physical activity. A physical activity, of course, that is, uh, you know, I mean, obviously you're going to be breathing and you're going to be walking or moving around or whatever. But talking about labor, it's a freedom from that. But it's also this, and this is the one that most people don't understand. It's freedom from responsibility. So often, and if you've ever owned a business, if you've ever been in charge of anything, you realize that you may take a vacation and you may get lots of sleep and you may be free from physical labor, but you're never really free because responsibility goes with you wherever you are at. It follows you. It, it's, it's just simply with you, and so you're, you're not truly freely resting. A second, not only was it rest, but it was also a time for public worship. Uh, Numbers 28, 9, and 10 puts it this way. On the Sabbath day, two male lambs, a year old without blemish, and two tenths of an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering, mixed with oil and its drink offering, this is the burnt offering of every Sabbath besides the regular burnt offering and his drink offering. So on the Sabbath day, that was worship. So on the Sabbath day, not only were they to rest, but they were uh, also from labor and from work. I, I can't go into too much detail about that, but they are two different uh, things, separating the freedom from uh, physical activity and the, and the freedom from responsibility. Work having to do with business and labor having to do with, you know, the shovel. Um, it, I mean, one has to admire uh, certain people who, who uh, shut their businesses down on the Sabbath. And this, this particular uh, command has a, a notion of who this is directed towards primarily. It was directed primarily towards those in authority who could require someone to work and or free them from work. And that is the parents, the people who were in charge of other people, they're told you do not do this. So other than that, those two things, why the Sabbath? Uh, there are three more reasons that I'd like to give you this morning. First, the Sabbath was a sign that the Israelites belonged to God. We find this in uh, Exodus uh, 31:13. It's in other places too. But you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, isn't that amazing? This is an amazing statement to me. Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. So it was a sign that the Israelite people belonged to the Lord. Second, the Sabbath was uh, God's way, or it was his gift, which was also a means by which we express our trust in him for our physical resources, for provision. Again, you know, when, when God gave the manna, in the wilderness, Moses reminded the people 
in Exodus 16. He says, See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each one of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So keeping the Sabbath is a sign of trust that God will provide for your needs. And finally, the Sabbath was a reminder of God's redemption. In Deuteronomy 5, it says, Remember that you were slaves to Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. Now, it would have been, I should say, it would be very naive for us to think that the Egyptians gave the Israelites a day off, much less the Sabbath. They worked them, you worked till you dropped. That was essentially the way, the way that it worked. So he wanted to say the Sabbath is a reminder to you that you've been delivered from Egypt much in the same way as we as believers have been delivered from sin through Jesus Christ. So, uh, speaking of the, the Lord, let's take a look in the New Testament for a couple of seconds. Luke 4.16 tells us uh, that he, that is uh, Jesus Christ, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as is, was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. So it was the, Jesus Christ's custom it, it was his habit, is the way he lived his life was on the Sabbath to go to the synagogue. And he made a point of doing that, but he also did a few other things on the Sabbath. He healed on the Sabbath. I mean, there are six times in the uh, gospel where you see this collision between Jesus Christ and the Pharisees and or his disciples over healing on the Sabbath. I mean, but... But Christ was not going to be ruled by legalism at all. And the, the legalism, by the way, is if, if we go back to, uh, let's just say, the Sabbath refrigerator, right? It, with the, the light is on the whole time on the Sabbath day. Because who wants to wake up in the middle of the night? You go, you open the fridge, and you can't see anything in there. And, you know, you grab something and drink it, which you didn't want to. That's not what you want to do. So you want a light in there, right? So the thing is, is in order to circumvent the law, you create something which is not a violation of the law, but that gives you what you wanted in the first place. That's legalism. That's what legalism is. Uh, so just so that you have a, a little bit of an understanding that Jesus would absolutely not be ruled by legalism uh, at all, but by the mercy and, and by compassion. And then Jesus declared that he was, in fact, the Lord of the Sabbath. In Matthew, as Jesus and his disciples are walking through a grain field, uh, they were hungry. So they started picking the, these heads of grain, and they began to eat them. And the Pharisees, they were enraged, you know, and they said, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. And so Jesus reminded them, told them the story about David and the showbread and how he ate it when he was hungry. And he said, I tell you, 
Something greater than the temple is here. Those are just astounding words if you put yourself back in that context. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. I, you know, that these guys shook to the core. But that story illustrates Jesus' words in Mark 2 when he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. This is so vital to understand. The Sabbath is a good gift from God to us. It is not a burden. There are two mistakes that we can make regarding the, the Sabbath. One mistake is, I believe, to have a, a cavalier attitude about it, not doing anything different. It's not simply saying, ah, one day is as another, as Paul mentions, but it's not doing anything differently on this day at all. It is just to say, you know, I'm just going to stay home, uh, and I'm not going to watch online, uh, got the big game coming up, Got to prepare for that. Okay. There's another mistake, though, too, and that is this error of legalism. And legalism was, in fact, the promise, uh, the the problem in uh, Jesus' day. The rabbis had created so many rules that the Sabbath had become a burden and, and not a blessing. And they had very particularly defined work and burden to determine even how far you could walk on the, the Sabbath day. And uh, a lot of those rules are recorded in a book some of you have heard of. This may be the first time you've heard of it for others. It's called the Mishnah. Uh, and in this, they give all, many, many examples, like the book that I was reading about the uh, Sabbath uh, breaking in uh, early America. Uh, so for an example... An elderly, elderly uh, woman wanted to know, and yes, they did have false teeth back then, wanted to know if she could wear her false teeth on the Sabbath. So after a long and deliberate research and study, it was determined that it was labor to wear the false teeth on the Sabbath. So she couldn't wear them. She had to gum that matzah. And then, now, that, was that would have been real labor right there. Uh, that's not what God intended. It was God's intention for the Sabbath to be a blessing. Among the, uh, some of the questions that I ask at the beginning is, what day is the Sabbath? All right, so is it Saturday? Is it Sunday? I'll, I'll tell you now, it's, it's Saturday. But what does that mean to us? Okay, historically, there are three main views. One is that Saturday's the Sabbath, and that's the historic... Saturday's the Sabbath, right? The, the question is not whether it's the Sabbath or not. The question is, what do we do with it? Uh, and so you have... This is a view that the Seventh-day Adventists, for example, take, where they do their worship uh, on the historic day, the, the Sabbath, as the Jews do. Uh, so second, that's one view. The second view 
is that Sunday is the new Sabbath. So this came uh, right with, uh, to us in America from the very beginning. The Puritans recorded it in the Westminster uh, Catechism when they said, From the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, God appointed the seventh day of the week to be a weekly Sabbath. And the first day of the week ever since, which is the Christian Sabbath. So you, you have this, now Sunday is, is the Sabbath. And finally you have uh, another, uh, the final view, which Augustine, uh, or Augustine, however you say that, um, said that no specific day is the Sabbath. Uh, it, the Sabbath is, is symbolic of the rest that we have in Jesus Christ every day. Uh, Allah, Hebrews, and Romans, and Colossians rather than a specific day of observance. However, our Sunday worship, as he would go on to say, has more to do with traditional practice uh, rather than God's direct command. So what are we to make of it? Uh, interestingly, and, uh, when, you, when you first hear this, you go, well, I thought the Ten Commandments were all in the Old Testament. Well, nine of the Ten Commandments are actually repeated in the New Testament. There's one that's not, and that is uh, the fourth commandment, which is not repeated in the New Testament. Now, there's a lot of references to the Sabbath in the, the New Testament, um, including that the Jews under the law uh, at the time of Christ and Christ himself would observe the Sabbath. But there's no direct, there's no indirect command for believers in the church age to observe the Sabbath as instituted um, in Israel. Uh, and, and in fact, if you, you can write this down and look it up later, Colossians 2.16 appears uh, to release believers from Sabbath rule altogether. So I don't see Sunday as the new Sabbath in Scripture. Nevertheless, having said that, it's clear that the New Testament sets the pattern of worship on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday. Sunday's called the Lord's Day. Jesus rose from the dead on the Lord's Day. Uh, he appeared to his disciples on the Lord's Day. Uh, the Lord's Day was the day of public assembly for the believers we see in Acts. And in Corinthians, the Lord's Day was the day that they made the collection. I mean, it's clear that Sunday is the day for Christian public worship. Um, and if possible, this is the day that should be set aside. But, but once again, we must not be legalistic about this. I mean, some people work on Sundays uh, and not by uh, choice. And also, I would probably have, just full kind of disclosure, I would probably have a, um, a stronger opinion about this had I not lived in the Middle East for five years had I not pastored the international church for four of those five years, and we met on Friday. Why? Because in the Arab world, Sunday is Monday. If you try to have church on Sunday, you couldn't get anybody there. No one would show. Everybody's at work. So would the Lord say, no, 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 no. you got to do it on Sunday, or I'm not going to bless it, even though nobody's there except for, you know, a few 
people who don't have to work. Now, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't believe that. I think the Lord wants us to gather together. I think he'd be happy if we gathered together every day. I, I don't think that there is a particular 24-hour period in the universe that's more blessed than another. I do believe that, and I'll say a couple of things about that, because I in no way uh, want to minimize the importance of the Sabbath. But uh, there are some biblical principles in the few minutes that we have remaining uh, that I want to leave you with. And I, I want to give you five, but I'll go through them uh, quickly. Since the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, the principle uh, that I abide by is one in seven. Some people, because of whatever their situation is, they're not able to attend. They're not able to take Sunday as their day of uh, rest. They're just not able to, for whatever reason. The important thing for them is one in seven. What I mean by that is uh, to maintain good spiritual and mental and even physical health, it's, it's uh, gained by uh, taking a day off, in essence. Second, I mean, everyone who exercises, I don't as much as I used to, but uh, it's, it's funny if you go on a military training base and you, and you watch all the trainees out there, they'll all be carrying clear uh, gallon jugs. And the reason they're clear is because they're filled with water. And the instructors want to see how much water is in there because there's designated water that you have to drink. Did you know that by the time you're thirsty, if you're exercising and physically exerting yourself, you're probably already dehydrated? You have to drink before you get thirsty. Guess what? You have to rest before you get tired. We have to rest. We have to take care of ourselves. I mean, burning the candle at both ends is never a good strategy. You must rest. Third, rest while you're resting. Okay, so, I mean, this is a tough one. This is a tough one for me. Ooh, I don't have it. Isn't that a wonder? Uh, my phone is in the second pew over there. But you know, so you're resting. Ooh. I, I, it'll only take me 30 seconds to, to take care of this. Oh, another 30 seconds. When you got the electrons going through your brain, I'm sorry, you're not resting. Now, ooh, now I'm getting radical, right? How long do you think you could turn that thing off for? <laughs> That's a self-examination question. I'm not very good at it. I'm not very good at it. And yet those of you who had reached maturity prior to the little computer in your pocket age, you know that you would go all day before you even knew what the messages were. I mean, there are very few things, honestly, there are very few things that cannot wait. And we need to, as a spiritual discipline, we were listening this morning about the objective means to sanctification, Right? I think turning the phone off, turning our electronic devices off, even if you only do it for 10 minutes, I know for some that's a 
you know, each one of us has where we're at on our journeys is different. But you're not resting when that's happening. Fourth, set aside time each week for public worship. Now, I know that uh, COVID has placed many, many restrictions on us, and I'm, I'm, I'm deeply grateful that we have live uh, streaming. But as, as the, soon as the day comes, and it'll be different for each one because each one is in a different circumstance, but as the day comes, uh, let us join with the saints for public worship. There's something about community that has an unspoken power but yet gives us life. And one last thing. Follow your conscience without judging. We as a people are bent. When I say we, I mean people. Okay, All people are bent towards judging others. It's one of our deepest flaws as, as fallen people. One of the one of the greatest runners of all time who ended up dying in a Japanese prison camp during war, World War II was a man by the name of Eric Liddell. And his story was told, along with another, in the movie Chariots of Fire. Now, he believed that Sunday was the Christian Sabbath. And he was placed under tremendous national pressure to run on the Sabbath. And he gave up his fastest race. He, he set that aside and instead went to a church and worshipped and preached instead of running his race. Now, through another set of circumstances, he was allowed to run another race in which he won a gold medal. And, I mean, in earlier, he had even put off going to China to run the Olympics. Many of you will recall his words uh, from the movie when he said, Jenny, Jenny, I, I believe God made me for a purpose, China. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. I do not share Eric Liddell's view on the Sabbath, but of what can I say of that which I do, when I do it, I feel his pleasure. When was the last time you felt God's pleasure? I do not care what his view on the Sabbath is. This man is right with God, top to bottom. You see, we're to follow our convictions, but never judge because someone sees it differently. This is especially true in the absence of specific New Testament commands related to the Sabbath. Each person is responsible to God and to their own conscience. In closing, the Sabbath is a command. It is, but it is a gift. If, you're, if your boss calls you up tonight and says, hey, you did a stellar job last week, take tomorrow off. It's on me. Hopefully you'd be grateful. Your boss would be telling you what to do, take tomorrow off. But it's also a gift. You get to take 
tomorrow off. Now, my guess is, you bosses out there, if you did that and they came to work anyway, I'm not sure you'd be that happy about it. I think the Lord gives us a day off. I think he wants us to take it. So let's show our appreciation to God by taking one in seven to rest and to worship. Let us honor him by enjoying the gift that he has given to us. A day off each week for rest and worship and through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and our trust in him, an eternity of Sabbath. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We give you glory for who you are, for what you've done. And Lord, many of us need rest. I pray that you would provide that. I pray that you would provide the kind of sleep, the kind of freedom from physical exertion, the kind of freedom from responsibility that refreshes the soul. And we can only do this by trusting in your divine providence and care and provision. And we thank you for who you are and what you've done in all those regards and so many more. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.